foundation, our solid foundation and what we believe, uh, those non-negotiables that are absolutely, if you're a believer, you must believe this. And, and last week we talked about there is one God. I think this coming week we're going to be talking about one Lord, one mediator. And that's going to kind of be what we're hitting on today a little bit as well. And so the first week that we started this series, we talked about the Adamic Covenant. And how many remember what it was? It was a covenant of works. And we saw that God gave, God wanted to have relationship with Adam. And so he formed covenant. And we're going to see all through, over a span period of time, God was going to reveal to man his plan of salvation. And he's going to keep unfolding a little bit more and a little bit more until the time comes when the ultimate Christic covenant that we're building up to, the seventh covenant, where Christ fulfills everything and we're going to see that the new covenant and so but he begins with a covenant of works and he's beginning to unveil some things he wants relationship and in covenant you have relationship because you have choices and you have a you have a agreements that go on and that's what happened so God established a covenant of works and there was one simple command that he gave Adam of all the garden uh, in all the garden you can enjoy everything but of that one tree don't eat for if you eat that one tree in that day that you eat thereof you will surely die. Judgment will come. If you break my word, judgment. If you break my law, it demands a price and a payment and it will be judgment. And immediately we saw that Adam could not even keep, and Eve could not even keep one commandment. We see that and immediately God puts a fiery sword there which was representative of the word of God and of judgment there that was there. And then he put some cherubim that was representative of mercy. However, the problem was you had to keep, somebody had to come and somebody had, if the penalty can be paid, if you can pay the penalty, then you can get back into the mercy of God and into the presence of God. So somebody had to come. If, if you could pay the penalty, if you could pay and, and keep his law perfectly, if you could keep the word of God perfectly, then you can have the mercy of God again. And so somebody had to, God would release his mercy to mankind. The only problem is you and I can't do it. There, there, there's just no absolute way that we could do it. Adam and Eve couldn't do it. They were locked outside of the garden. And so God on that same covenant, he didn't create another one. It's just like we said it was like a coin. The same covenant here, uh, the Hebrew word that he used was another, this, one of the same. If you flip the coin over to the other side, then you would see it was also he instituted a covenant of grace and and we see that he in Noah grace was represented that would show us later in Jesus grace is going to come in the person it's going to be personified he is grace and he is truth and he's he's going to bring grace and it's going to cover the old world of sin and that's exactly what happened that sin but breaking the covenants of work sin came and death entered and because of it the fallen nature and sin began to grow and mankind got more evil and more wicked all of a sudden. And so God had a plan. I'll, I'll bring in my covenant of grace and I'll wash that all away. I'll cover the whole earth. I'll cover that ugliness. I'll cover those murders. I'll cover that, that, that vileness and that sickness. And I will, I will uh, uh, all, all you need to do, uh, it's not going to be man working this time. It's going to be me that's going to hold you up. I will buoy you up. I will hold you up by my mercy. Get in the ark of safety and you will be safe from all of this. I'll do away with the old and I'll bring in the new. And we see eight souls come out of that ark in a new beginning, the Bible tells us. Just like when you came to Christ and his blood washed out the old life from you and he began something brand new in your life. One of my favorite preachers in the world went home to be with the Lord at a, at a, at a, at a young age this past week, somewhat young age. And uh, a wonderful man of God. And uh, I watched the funeral of Marcy and I yesterday on, 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 on the internet. And just an amazing man. And last week, uh, one of the pastors that he, he, he served with uh, talked about uh, at his funeral, it was a portrait of this man, like a portrait of, 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 of William Carroll was the man. A portrait of William Carroll. And he talked about how God, how, how there's an old portrait of you and I. There's an old canvas with, with Brad Lindsay on it. And if you were to look at a picture of yourself before salvation, it, it, there there's, ought to be a 
vast contrast of who you were. You ought not to even want to look at that picture that, of that old man. And what God does when you come to His mercy and grace and His forgiveness, He takes that old canvas away and puts a new canvas and begins to paint the life of Brad Lindsay now or William Carroll or whoever it is with Christ formed in them. He's the author. He's painting the picture of you now. A life lived in Jesus Christ. And this man lived a wonderful life in Christ. The portrait at the beginning when God signed his name at the bottom and this man's life was over and he entered into heaven and God was able to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Amen? He signed the painting and it's over. And that's what God is painting something in our life now. He's covered the sin. He's covered the mistakes. He's taken the old portrait and canvas away that you were doing in your works and trying to make yourself look godly. Now He does away with that in Christ and He has the brush strokes in His hand. He's painting the masterpiece. God is the artist, not you. And that's the beautiful, wonderful work of the Noahic, uh, Noahic covenant. It is a covenant of grace. It is is a covenant of mercy. God does the work. God pays the price so that you can come back into the presence of God. And now it's not you just going back into a garden between a couple of trees. It's God coming down inside of you and living His life and His glory radiating out of you now. And then we came to the Abrahamic covenant. We came to the Abrahamic covenant where, where uh, God separates separates Abraham and he says I'm going to make a nation out of you and you remember it was all about the seed because back in Genesis we know what happened we know that when man fell fortunately God didn't say well I'm done with you I'm finished with you no he said immediately he said Genesis 3:15. immediately he, had, he said the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent in other words there's coming a seed one day and there's coming a lineage one day. And there's coming a nation one day. And they're going to number the sands of the sea. And through that nation is going to come one seed. And that one seed is going to destroy the works of Satan, of sin, of mankind. He is going to win back planet earth for us. He is going to be the hero of the story. He is everything. His name is Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sin. And we know that through this lineage called Abraham came the seed of Christ, came forth the Messiah, and he was born of the seed of a woman. God, the Holy Spirit, placed uh, him inside of this virgin, and we know that Christ was formed inside of her. That's what happens when you come to Jesus Christ. You get pregnant with Christ. The seed of Christ is placed in you by the Holy Spirit, and it grows and it grows and it grows until Christ is seen in our life. Amen? We become, we grow in Christ and He radiates from our life. And so we see in this beautiful covenant how the Messiah would come and it, it produced a seed, the seed of Christ, and He crushed the head of the serpent on the cross. And then, then two weeks ago we saw the Mosaic covenant and that was the coming of the law. And you remember that Adam held the word lightly. He held the word. He had one command, Daniel, and he held it lightly. He, he, he just, he, like we hold this book lightly. Sadly, this is Jesus. This is the words of Jesus. Off the page of this comes Christ, the very words of Almighty God. And yet we hold them lightly. We esteem them lightly. And that's what Adam did. He did not equate what God had spoken with God Himself. And, we, we, and, and so we must understand that. So God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to establish my word forever. I'm going, mankind broke it. They broke the promise promises of God and you remember what happened God gave them the law Moses went up the mountain we learned he God wanted to speak to them just like God wanted to speak to Moses at the burning bush out of that thorn bush now out of this thorn bush called Sinai which that's what it means at this mountain he wants to speak to a whole nation and he comes down with those laws he's been up there God says you better get down quick because there's some there's some mess going on down there and he sees the anger of God because God if you break his covenant if you 
break his word. It requires judgment. And that's wrath, the wrath of God. And so Moses comes down. He sees the anger of God. He comes down. He sees what's going on down in that place. And I, I scared Sidney off because I threw the commandments down towards her and almost broke them right in front of her. But that's what Moses did in his anger. And, and But then the Bible says that something happens because God does something amazing. Moses now goes a second time up that mountain. And before that, God puts him in the cleft of the rock and God begins to show him his backside and his glory. And he shows him the other side of what the covenant is going to bring. Jesus is going to fulfill the word of God. He is the word of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He will keep every commandment. He will keep every jot and tittle. He will not break one part of it and he will fulfill the covenant. It will be an everlasting word that will last. He's not doing away with it. He is absolutely fulfilling it. If you did away with it, you have to do away with Christ. No, he is fulfilling it. He is it. He is the word of God. And now all of a sudden, he is, God is satisfied. His word is established forever. And now he takes Moses up. He says, I can't show you. My, my, my glory, you would die. You're just a human being. And so all of a sudden he says, I'll tell you what, I'll put you in the cleft. I'll, I'll come by. And when I pass completely by, I'll lift my hand and let you see my hinder parts. And you'll see my glory. And all of a sudden he hears the Lord, the Lord who is gracious, who is loving, kind, the, the God of mercy. And Moses is just astonished. He takes the tablets up there. God writes the commandments again on the tablets. And now he comes down with the mercy of God. God's mercy to the people. God is loving the people. God is being merciful to the people. The word of God has been fulfilled. It has been satisfied in Christ. Christ, the wrath is removed. And the eternal word of God has been established forever. And we can go into these promises now. We can know it wasn't just for that generation or the generation after. We can go into this book and claim the promises that are in them forever. Forever. God, your word says I can be saved. Your word says I can be forgiven. God, your word says mercy comes even to those people like me who messed up last week. You extend your mercy to those who have a contrite and broken heart. Oh, dear God, come to me and save me. Amen. And his word is eternal. It's eternal, man. He is, see, in every one of these, he's establishing something greater. Folks, we just get so stuck on the surface of things. In the natural, and you don't see the spiritual of what's written. We start, and you're missing it. It's so much deeper under there. Like a deep mine, I heard one of my favorite preachers say, going down into a deep mine, deep mine and finding a treasure. And when you find it, just hollering up from there. And just absolutely, just you can just tell you found the, the treasure. And folks, there's so much more in this book. That's why we're reading the Bible now, is to go in this thing and mine down so deep. And that's what we want to see in the covenants. I found the treasure. His word is established forever. It's not me. It's Christ. It's Christ, it's Christ, amen? And so he fulfilled the word, thus removing the sword of judgment, thus allowing the cherubims to give us mercy to enter back into the presence of God. Folks, I got news for you, Christ did that. You didn't do that with your good works. You didn't do that by coming to church. You didn't do that by reading your Bible more. You didn't do that by praying more. You didn't do that by picking yourself up by the bootstrap and promising again you would not fail again. Christ did that. Christ did it. And Christ is revealing His plan of salvation in all of these covenants. And that brings us to the Levitical, and I cannot wait. The Levitical covenant today, man, absolutely the ironic or the Levitical covenant, the fifth one. And let me tell you something, a lot of people skip over this. There's a lot of people who don't even include this covenant in the covenants. They skip right over and go straight from Mosaic to the Davidic, but that doesn't even make sense because you're going to see that over 50 times, 50 times, Dustin, the, the priesthood or the tabernacle and the priesthood 
are mentioned in the word of Scripture 50 times. How do we skip over this covenant when it's mentioned 50 times? 27 in one book called the book of Leviticus. 27 references or chapters are given in this book to, to, uh, to, this, this, the, to, to this covenant, really, to the tabernacle, to, the, to, to what takes place in here, the priesthood, and all that's going to come forth, the high priest. Plus, if you count this one in there, you have seven major covenants with Christ being the seventh, and that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Since seven is a number of completion and perfection. So it doesn't make sense for Christ, the Christic covenant, to stop on six. So we have this one right here that I believe is so vital, and you'll see how vital that it's going to be today. So let's dive into it, and here's basically what happens. So today we deal with the Aaronic, or I may refer to it as the Levitical covenant, and here's what happens. Moses, Aaron, and Miriam come from the tribe of Levi. They're all uh, from the tribe of Levi. And God says to Aaron, who is Moses' brother, he says something. He says, I'm going to separate you, Aaron, and I'm going to separate your people, the people of Levi. And I'm going to make you a high priest, and all your descendants are going to be the priesthood. So that's what I'm going to do because I've got to do something on this earth. I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to form a priesthood so that I can continue to allow you to come into the presence of God. You're sinful man. You're sinful mankind. And, 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 and in reality, you ought not to be allowed into the presence of God. So God says, I'm going to formulate a plan. I've got something not only for the here and now to show you right now as I'm building these covenants to, implant, uh, to show you something deeper and to build these pillars, but I'm but but, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to point to a day when, when the eternal covenant is going to be sealed in Christ. And so here he begins to say, I'm going to separate you, Aaron, and I'm going to separate your family, and, and, and you'll be high priest. They will be priests. And, and, and it's so important what he's doing here and what he's going to show us. As I said, in Leviticus, we see so much of this covenant going on in here. Verses chapters 1 through 7, it speaks of the law regarding the sacrifices in the the book of Leviticus, that, that boring book nobody wants to read. That book has some fascinating things inside of it. I hope after today you'll look at it with a whole different light. Chapters 1 through 7 speak of the sacrifices. Chapters 8 through 10 speak of the office of the priesthood. And then chapters 11 through 16 talk about the ceremonial purity or cleansing. So in other words, there's, there's cleansing going on. There's a process that has to be maintained so that mankind can continue to have a relationship with God. Do you want to have a relationship with God? This was the only way you could do it with a holy God and a defiled bunch of people. God had to have a system in place and a process in place where mankind had to go through this ceremony, have a priesthood, have a high priest that would come between man and God and we had to have all this ceremonial cleansing going on. We had to have sacrifices going on. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin and you had to cleanse the tabernacle, you had to cleanse the temple, you had to cleanse the priest, had to cleanse himself you had to cleanse the people and so you had this process that had to go on in order for us to have a relationship with God, amen and so 50 chapters in the Bible dedicated to this, 27 uh, in, in, in uh, the book of Leviticus alone. Now Matthew 2, 4 through 7 says this. I want you to look at it. And what it says in the book of Malachi, because this is a place where we're going to see this covenant, and then later on we're going to go back to where it began. But here's what the last book of the Old Testament says before there's a space of no hearing from God, and then the New Testament writers begin to write. And it says, And you shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi. So he's establishing a covenant here with Levi, and it says, saith the Lord of hosts. Go to the next verse. My covenant was with him of life and peace. It's a covenant of life and peace. Is that not good news? A covenant of life and peace. Go ahead. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me, reverence for which he reverenced me, and was afraid before my name. Next verse. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and did not turn away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth. For he is the messenger 
of the Lord of hosts. That's what the Bible tells us about this covenant in Malachi. Malachi says, I'm going to make a covenant with Levi, and it's going to be a covenant of mercy. It's going to be, last week was the covenant, uh, we saw the covenant of the word of God and the law and the breaking of the law brought judgment. This week we're going to see the coming of the covenant of the priesthood and the high priest and I'm going to extend my mercy to you. Woo! Come on. You broke my law, you pay a price. The priest, the mediator comes and says, I'll give you mercy. I'll pay the price. This is a great covenant right here. The Adamic covenant was a covenant of works. The Noahic, Noahic covenant was a covenant of grace. The Abrahamic covenant was a covenant regarding man. Man's seed is going to come and it's going to crush the head of the serpent. The Messiah will become a man and he will die for mankind. And then the Abrahamic covenant was that. And then the Mosaic covenant was a covenant of the law that Jesus would be the prophet. He would fulfill the law. And then we come to the Levitical covenant. Jesus comes to give us mercy. And when you get mercy, you become a worshiper. And I'm going to show you this so clear from the Word of God. When you get mercy, you worship. Some of you may not worship today because you really don't understand the mercy of God. I hope today if you ever catch the mercy of God, you ain't going to have a problem raising your hands. You're not going to have a problem clapping your hands. You're not going to have a problem opening your mouth because of the mercy of Almighty God. It just causes you to worship the Lamb of God. Amen? And so this is a covenant of mercy today that we're going to see. Let me give you an example of, of, of where we're headed and what I believe God wants to do in this altar today. This is not a story of mine. It's a story I heard of a man, another preacher that I love. And he told the story, and it just fits so well, of a married couple that was in a marriage group, kind of like we try to meet here with the married couples and just pour into lives. And so they had a marriage group going on in their house or at the church or somewhere and so the people were coming and they were gathering and they were having a time of worship in this, in this setting each time before they went to whatever the lessons or whatever they were doing. And there was this particular couple and this woman that every time the first week when they started to play the music that this woman began to worship and began to just cry. Just begin to cry profusely. And, and the man that was leading the group, this pastor, began to think, well, man, he kind of went home like, I'm, I'm a little bit ashamed of my worship because this woman was so... So they came back the second week, and the woman did this again. I mean, when the worship started, she began to just weep and just begin to cry profusely. And then it, it, it was like, again, maybe, am I, am I not... Am I missing something here? So it happened the third week and the fourth week. And it happened the fifth week. And all of a sudden, you could tell something was not right because this particular, with this particular woman, the crying wasn't, wasn't because of the worship. It wasn't, in other words, it, something was not adding up here with what was going on with coming into the presence of God in this particular instance. And the pastor and his wife realized that. So they said, we, we've got to sit down with this woman and find out what's going on. And so when they, they after that last, time they asked them to stay behind and so they asked the woman they said what's the problem and she said why do you think there's a problem and they said well uh, we just we just sense something's going on when 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 we start coming into the presence of God that that the the, the way you're crying and, and 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 something's just not right and she began weeping again profusely and she began to share a story with the pastor and she began to uh, tell him about an encounter when she was in high school and how she had uh, had, a, had had gotten pregnant out of wedlock and 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 so she had gotten pregnant she got she had to leave school she she left school she she took on this terrible shame that an embarrassment that began to take place in her life and so uh, all this shame came upon this woman and then time went by uh, and and so finally she came to know the Lord she came into a relationship with God into a church like this one came to know the Lord as Savior and she met a man real quickly in their youth group. She was a young lady. She was in the youth group. She came. She's thinking, now I'm in a proper relationship. What happened before won't happen again. And so she got to know this guy. He was a very good Christian, very good Christian 
family. And so she began to spend time with this guy. And she's thinking, I'm safe. I'm in a safe relationship. And all of a sudden, they got closer and closer and closer. And, and, and before long, the guy started pressuring her and pressuring her. Uh, and and, and they, they got caught up. And eventually, they, had, they began to have sex. And all of a sudden, she got pregnant again. And so this time... Now, this double shame came back upon this young lady. Not only did she deal with the shame of before, but now she's become a Christian, and now she's fallen into this. And now, not only has just the shame of before come back, but now it's come back double upon her life. And so, so uh, and, and now she's been married four years to this man. They, they went ahead and got married, but she carried all this into the marriage. And now that's where they are at this marriage group. And now it's being revealed what the pastor was being discern this woman is just shame is just all over her life this spirit of shame she's never received the mercy of God and when the presence of the Lord comes and she begins to worship God it's abnormal because all of a sudden she's just ridden with this guilt and with this shame now some in here you need to worship you stand far off and don't think you're supposed to enter in Others here, maybe you're worshiping out of a wound. And, 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 and others are worshiping the way maybe we should. But, 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 but this woman and this particular woman is here and she's got all that. So the pastor, when they discern that, when she brings this up, the pastor said, we are about to lay hands on you. And we're fixing to pray. And we're going to break this shame off your life. We are going to break this off in the name of Jesus right now. They laid hands on this woman. That woman asked God to help her. And do you know what? That shame broke off of this woman and she became a true worshiper of Almighty God. Amen? Amen? She received the mercy of God that she had never been able to receive before. And it was absolutely beautiful what happened to her. That spirit of shame that was resting on her was taken off and she absolutely was free. And see, that's what happens. That's what's happening in this covenant is that mankind has sinned and we are still carrying around this, this shame. And we are carrying around this heavy burden because the judgment of God is that you have sinned. And with that sin comes wrath and comes judgment down upon us. But God comes and with forgiveness and He comes with mercy to bring that to you. And He gives you what you don't deserve. Amen? Like the woman with the alabaster box. With the costly perfume. And they thought she was a fool too, but she was worshiping God correctly. She comes in, breaks it, comes over and everybody's saying, what is this woman doing? Get her out of there. And she pours this costly perfume upon Jesus and worships him. You know, absolutely beautiful. Wipes his hair with her tears. Just absolutely, just, just kisses his feet and kisses his head and recognizes who she knows the mercy of God. Hey, you don't understand because you, Simon, you, you, you just think you've been forgiven a little bit. This woman had great sins. This woman knows she's loved much. This woman woman knows she's forgiven much. This woman is not carrying shame anymore. This woman is a worshiper of God. Amen? She knows what she has is not deserved. You, you all are over there kind of pompously thinking you deserve because what have you done? You serve in the church. You do this. You do that. This woman knows she had nothing that could be offered to forgive her. She knows her sin were mounted up to heaven. She knows she broke the law. She knows it required and demanded 100% or there's judgment coming. But she knows there's a Savior who stepped in, the high priest of her soul, a mediator, and said, I'll take care of that. I'll offer her mercy. Amen? And so, this covenant of mercy makes us worshipers. Job, in the book of Job, puts it like this. He's sitting in ash heap. He's covered with boils from head to toe. He's lost family members. He's lost his property. Doesn't understand what's going on. And here's what he says in Job 16, 21. 
Oh, that one might plead for a man with God as a man pleads for his neighbor. He feels like he's dying. He says, is there somebody who could mediate for mankind? Oh, we're all fallen. We're all wicked. Nobody can plead man's case to God. We're all guilty. We're lost. We're doomed. We're locked outside. None of us can fulfill and remove the flaming sword and have the cherubims offer us mercy to get into the garden. Nobody can do it. And Job is saying, Man, is there anybody who could come and mediate on mankind's behalf and give them mercy? Thank God there is a man who came and gave us mercy. Amen. In fact, he was suspended between heaven and earth. He's called the only mediator between man and God. That's what he is. The mediator, one mediator between man and God. The man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for us. He's the one who is not just, not just on the ground, not just in heaven. He is suspended between heaven and earth on an old rugged cross. If I be lifted up and suspended between heaven and earth, a mediator between man and God, then I will draw all mankind to myself. A mediator, Job, if we could just have somebody plead our case. If we could just have somebody go to us on behalf of us for God. If we could just have somebody go before God on our behalf. See, Adam didn't need that because Adam walked with God directly in the garden. But after the fall, after man was locked out outside of the garden, we need somebody to mediate on our behalf. And thus the tabernacle. And thus the sacrifice. And thus the error or Levitical covenant was instituted so God could show you the plan of salvation that was put in place before the foundation of the world. Amen? You should die, but there's a sacrifice. John, you should die for your sin. You should die for breaking the commands of God. But you're going to live. You should die, Dustin. You should, but, but there's a sacrifice. And there's a priesthood. And there's ceremonial washing. And there's ceremonial... And all that boring stuff you read. And you try to act like it's you. It ain't you. It's Christ. It's Christ who washed Himself perfect. It's Christ who fulfilled it perfect. It's Christ who is clean. It's Christ who is, who, is, who is the perfect lamb. It's Christ who is spotless. It's not you try harder in yourself. It's Christ. It's a picture of Christ. It's a picture of Christ's perfection. You read it and it gets heavy and it gets big and it gets more burdensome. I can't do that. I can't do that. And he says, I know you can't do that, but there's a mediator who can do that. The man, Christ Jesus, who gives himself as a ransom. And so, so, so you should die under the penalty, but there's a mediatorial work that's going on. It's going to release forgiveness. And when that does, the Shekinah glory will come back down. And because of this covenant, Jesus is going to be our high priest. He is going to be our sacrifice. And then in the tabernacle that we're talking about and we're reading so much in this covenant, in that tabernacle is where a Passover lamb is going to be slain. They're going to slay a lamb and it has to be washed. It has to be without blemish they have to watch it over time and over time they have to wash it they have to look at every little hair they have to look at every little thing and then when they found the right one that's acceptable they could kill that lamb and then the Bible says that God said put it over the doorpost and when you put it over the doorpost that blood he's saying this is what happens when I release my death angel that's going to bring my wrath and kill all the people who are under the judgment of God all those that have broken the law of God when I kill them if I see the blood, then I'm going to be merciful to that house and I'm going to pass over that house and they will not one hair be touched upon their head because of the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ, because of the temple, because of the sacrifice of God Almighty. Amen? And then there's another example where mercy was extended. It was called the state scapegoat. 
And they had in the tabernacle, they had the Passover, and then they had the scapegoat. And Aaron took the blood into the Holy of Holies. He would take a lamb. He would kill that lamb, the Bible says. And he would take that lamb into the, into the holy, most holy place. And he would offer it for himself. He would offer it for the priesthood. And he would get himself just right. His garments would be washed. They would put it on everything. Then he would, then he would take the blood and he would sprinkle it on. He would offer it for himself. Then they would come back outside and he would pick two more lambs. Or, and the Bible says, or two goats and they would come out and they would take those two and they would take something called the unum and the thurum and I don't understand it fully but it was like these two stones and somehow they would just find out hey you got the whatever color of stone you're the black one you're the white one you die you live and somehow they would say God which is going to live and which one's going to die Boom. Oh, it's you. You die. They would take that lamb. You had to have a sacrifice to pay for the sins of mankind before mercy could come. And so these people are in the tents. They camp. Read it. It's fascinating. The Bible is fascinating. When you understand the covenants and you can see Jesus from Genesis to Revelation, you'll never read the Bible the same again. The Old Testament will not be boring. It will not be passe. It will not be old-fashioned. It will be not be that it doesn't matter anymore. No, you will absolutely see it as the Word of God and you will just see Christ coming out the, off the pages. And so when you see this, they are set those tents up a certain way. The tabernacle of the tent of meeting is in the middle a certain way. The 12 tribes are all around and all of a sudden they can see, they can see the temple. They can see the tabernacle. They are positioned that way for a purpose. They see the work of the priests going in. They see the, him going to offer the blood for himself. They see the sacrifice. They see the burning smoke. They see the incense. They see all these things, perfection, and all these things that have to go forth in order for mankind to maintain a relationship with God. This has to be done every day. This has to be done every year. But it's pointing to a long day where there'll be an eternal covenant. And we don't have to do it every day. Man doesn't have to do it because the man has fulfilled it for us forever, eternally. Amen? And by the way, you come in by faith. You come in by grace through faith. And you believe it. And so here, these people are standing probably outside their, uh, in a huddle or outside their tent doors. And they're watching this on the Day of Atonement. Because all their sins, three million people and their sins are there. Will God accept us again this year? Will God forgive us? Will he forgive me for the slipping on the internet and looking at pornography again? Will he forgive me for the illicit affair? Will he forgive me for, for snapping at my boss? Will he forgive me for the horrible things I said against my neighbor? Will he forgive me? Stealing and taking that thing that didn't belong from me at work? Will he forgive me for cheating on my taxes? Will he forgive me this year? Will I be accepted by him? They're all watching this process. They're watching them take the, this innocent, perfect lamb, slit its throat, offer it to God on, on their behalf, and all of a sudden there's no Shekinah glory that's there yet, and he takes this lamb that's been chosen, and he begins to cut that, that bullock or that goat, and he takes it inside, offers the the blood to God comes back out. There's still no Shekinah glory. At this point, there is no worshiping going on, by the way. It's somber. And they're just watching, waiting. What will happen? Will we be accepted? Will I be forgiven? Will wrath come? Will I have mercy? And then he comes, the high priest, and takes this second scapegoat lays his hand upon the head of this scapegoat, says all the sins of Brookside Church of God, all the sins of Israel for that year, three million people out in the wilderness, dear God, take our sins and put them on this animal. Take them up on this animal and take this animal out into the wilderness and accept our, take our sins away as far as the east is from the west. No, we don't deserve it, oh God. We deserve wrath. We deserve mercy. We broke your covenant. We broke your commandment. 
But oh God, you're merciful. Take this animal and put our sins upon it. And all of a sudden they do this. They go through this ceremony. They're still watching. They're not worshiping God because it's not done yet. There's no Shekinah glory. There's nothing going on there. They take this animal then. They get a strong man who is strong and young and vibrant. He takes this animal on a leash. He takes it as far into the wilderness as he possibly can. I mean, he's probably going to lower it down some, some canyons. He's probably going to pull it up some mountains. He's going to take it down in some valleys. He is going to take it as far as he can because if that thing returns, we're in trouble. But he knows he's got to take it so far that it never can find its way back to the camp of Israel again. And so they're watching outside the door of their tents. They're waiting. They're discussing. They're talking. They're looking. The high priest, they're going through all the rituals and all their motion. And all of a sudden somebody sees a man coming and there's no, there's this time there's no goat. There is no sin. He comes running back into the camp. He says, it is done. It is done. It is done. And the people all break out into worship. They all break out into cheer as the Shekinah glory comes down over the Ark of the Covenant into the temple of God. A pillar by day, a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night is exposed out there. And the people shout and they worship God because their God has just been merciful to their sins. Their sins are imputed to that goat. And that goat is carried away. And folks, if you can't get the picture here, your sins were imputed to Christ. And His wilderness was the grave. And He carried your sins into the grave. He carried this goat, carried your sin into the grave. And it was gone. It's banished as far as the east is from the west. And God received the payment by resurrecting him from the dead. We know it was accepted by God because he raised him from the dead on the third day. The price has been paid. The sins of mankind have been removed. It is gone. It is done. And the Shekinah glory can come down. And we see on the day of Pentecost, it did come down in this tabernacle. And they were filled with the Holy spirit and began to speak with tongues as the spirit gave them utterance and they worshiped and they praised and they magnified God. Amen. It is so significant of Jesus. It's so significant. Let me close in one last chapter. Numbers 25 because this is how the covenant came. Turn there with me and I'll show you how how sin must be dealt with. A plague broke out in Numbers 25 in these chapters. And this is how the Levitical covenant, Aaronic covenant came about. 24,000 people died in this plague. God wiped out 24,000 people just like that. Bam. Because they sinned. Listen, they had been warned not to take women outside of Christianity of their day, Judaism. It taint the bloodline to be unbeliever and believer mixing together. And so here's what it says. They, they didn't listen to God. They held the good word of God lightly. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So here we have Moses, we have Joshua, we have all the leaders. They're praying, they're weeping and saying, God, stop the plague. Stop this. Send revival. God doesn't send revival because look what happens. A guy who is so hard and walks by all of this, walks by all this going on, and is about to commit sin with the woman, with one of these women. He's going to go into his tent, even after all this, and sleep with this woman who 
who's not of God. And, and, and all, one of the most brazen, sinful acts in the Bible. And, and, and he sees them all weeping, walking by, verse 7. And when Phineas, this is the great-great-grandson, this is like three generations later after Aaron. This is the priesthood. And when Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, when he saw it, he rose up from among the congregation, took a javelin in his hand. So he is so incensed by what he's seeing going on. Oh, to God that we would begin to hate sin again in this nation. Oh, to God that we wouldn't just, just wink our eye at it anymore and tell our kids it's okay. Oh, to God that we would see how depraved we are as mankind, how fallen short of the glory of God and quit worrying about uh, worrying about somebody's little self-esteem. No, we were more than bad. We were evil. And Jesus Christ came and paid the price so the canvas could be taken away and a new canvas could be painted of us that was made and formed after the image of God. We could be born again. The old evil man could be taken away and the new man could be... I went Brad Lindsay wasn't kind of bad. He was bad. He needed to be removed. He needed to die. He needed to be crucified Christ so that the new man could come, amen, and could be created in the image of Christ. And so Phineas arises as the priest and he sees what's going on here and grabs a javelin as the Bible says. And look at what it says. And when Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation. He took the javelin in his hand. He walks by and, and, and this sin is going on. He follows this couple and when they go into this tent and they began to do this gruesome act. The Bible says, look at it in verse 8. He says, and he went in after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the men of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. Verse 9. And those that died in the plague were twenty and four thousand. Verse 10. And the Lord spake unto Moses and said, what do you think he said? You shouldn't have done that, Phineas. You shouldn't have done that. Sin's not all that bad. What they were doing was not too really bad. No, look at what God said. God said, he comes to Moses and he says, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned away my wrath. He stopped the plague. He's a type of Jesus Christ who walks by mankind and sees the vileness and the wickedness that we're doing. And he takes the javelin and deals with sin once and for all on the cross and pays the price and stops the wrath of God against you and me so that mercy can come. Mercy came a-running like a prisoner set free. Amen? And he turned the wrath. The Son of God is one day, that's what it's pointing to, going to turn the wrath of God towards us. It goes on to say this. He is turning my wrath away. Get a song ready. From the children of Israel while he was zealous for my sake. Listen to what he says. Listen. He says he has turned my wrath away from the children of Israel while he was zealous for my sake. Does that not sound like Christ? Do you remember what he said about Christ? Zeal of your house has eaten me up. The zeal for your house has eaten me up. The zeal to see you, you know, your people right. The zeal to see your house as it should be. He was zealous for my sake among them that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Verse 11, wherefore say, here's the covenant. Behold, I give unto him my covenant of what? Peace. What do you tell Malachi? It's a covenant of life and it's a covenant of peace. My life is going to be taken. You're going to get your life back. Your peace was gone through sin. I'm going to give you peace back. This is a covenant, this covenant that's going to come through the priesthood and the tabernacle where I'm going to be a mediator between you. There's going to be a sacrifice. I'm going to pay the price of sin. And here's what he says. I'll give him my covenant of peace. And here it is in verse 13. And we close. And he shall have it and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood. Because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. It doesn't get any clearer than that. That's exactly what Jesus, the Son of Christ, would come and do. He will make atonement for the sins of the world. And that's exactly what he did. He made a, life, a covenant of life and peace. He removed the wrath, the flaming sword for us. And he gives 
mercy to us where we can enter back into the most holy place. And here's my prayer today. I hope you've seen just a picture of mercy here today. But I want to go back to the story that I shared with you. And you know who you are. I can remember coming into church sometimes and when worship would come, I can remember being so wounded and for years being in church and just, just, just almost a cry out of my heart that was saying, it's almost like I had to manufacture one up even, saying, God, feel sorry for me. God, feel sorry for me because I know I'm terrible. Because I know the things I've done are awful. Oh God. Just like that woman with shame on her life. The spirit of shame. I knew what I'd done. I couldn't forgive myself. I couldn't, much less God forgive me. And I remember when God began to teach me the covenants. And I remember when I was accepted. I remember how my worship changed. And then it was like the woman's. Then tears came. But it was tears of joy. It was tears of joy. He made a worshiper out of me. And when I worshiped, it wasn't, oh God, forgive me. Oh God, help me. It was, oh God, thank you. Thank you for your mercy. Oh God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you pierced through sin. And thank you that the wrath of God has been turned on my behalf. So I don't know. Maybe you're here and you carry shame. Maybe it's a past abortion. Maybe, maybe, maybe you were molested. Maybe, 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 maybe you did the molesting. Maybe it's premarital sex. Maybe, maybe it was a divorce. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know what kind of thing you carry. We all have a thing. We all have a thing we carry. Guilt and shame and embarrassment and 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 and, and brokenness and breaking of God's law. And it does. It, it's serious. It's serious. It it, it it costs the life of somebody. It costs the life of somebody perfect, of somebody wonderful, of somebody great. The Son of all, God, God. But He did it willingly for you. And He wants to offer you life and peace. And He wants you to understand your, His mercy is given today freely. And you don't want to keep walking around in the shame. And, that, and it is a spirit. It is a spirit. It gets on you and you can't get it off. I mean, you can through Christ. And you don't have to have hands laid on you, but, 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 but I would like to offer that this morning. If you just need to pray and you need to be free from that this morning, we would love to pray with you and just ask God to break that shame off of you. And maybe you don't know Christ this morning. Maybe, maybe you've never known Christ at all and you've been carrying around a, a condemnation and guilt of just carrying around your sin. And you, you know, like all the, all the religions of the world, what they do. They have a, they have a ladder and, and God's at the top of the ladder. And I was, we were, Raymond and I were talking about this last week with the ladies at Love Lady and pray going back tomorrow. But all the others are, there's like this ladder. You put this ladder up and all the rungs of the ladders are like virtues. And God's at the top and if I can just do enough virtue then I get to advance another step on the ladder and another step. That's not Christianity, folks. Christianity is God is the ladder. God becomes the ladder. You saw, you saw he, he is the ladder and He comes down and He does it for us. He comes to mankind. And so you don't have to do anything to get up to the ladder of God. You can't do anything. God comes to you. And so if you need salvation today, you need your slate wiped clean. You need, yeah, well, you don't know what I've done, Brad. I don't deserve that. I know, I don't deserve it either. Adam didn't deserve it. Nobody deserves it. But that's how good God is. That He extends His mercy to you. Why would you reject so great a salvation? So we're going to pray. And if you need anything from God, healing anything, we're just going to take a time. And if not, then just consider this and say, Dear God, dear God, Your mercy causes me to want to worship You. And so if nothing else, more say, uh, uh, that famous preacher, and I close. I don't even know. I probably preached way too long. In 1205. Here's what he used to say, and I love him. I love him, man. There's certain preachers, and they say certain things, and you just like they're from another planet. They've been somewhere, and they find some words, and, and, and this, this is what this preacher said. 
He's just like, he, he, every time you could hear him, and he would just like, it'd make you just want to, you, you were in the throne room of heaven, and he'd just say, he's a great God. And I mean, it would just come down inside him like he believed it with all of us. He's a great God. And it would just be like, yes. It would cause you to just go, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And I just hope something today you can see, he's a merciful God. He's a merciful God. I hope I've gone down and just cried back up. I found some mercy. Get it today. Get it today. I've gone down in the mine and I've got something for you. It's called the mercy of God. Come receive it. Come receive it. Don't walk around in shame. Don't walk around in regret. Don't walk around in condemnation. I've got some mercy. Get the mercy of God. And it'll make you worship this great God. Let's worship. Let's worship. Let's worship. Sing to Him.